Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I am Tim Grady, and I am here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and his Fine Company, All Metals and Forge Group, which is the sponsor for Manufacturing Talk Radio. All Metals and Forge Group makes open die forgings in steel, alloy steel, tool steel, nickel, all kinds of metals, and they also do seamless roll rings. So, Lou, glad to join you again on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Uh, absolutely. I wouldn't miss it if I could. <laughs> <laughs> I have it. I was actually down in uh, uh, where was I in Rio, and at a that's right uh, in Brazil at a titanium show, no, an oil and gas show, and I was sitting outside at a park bench doing the interview with you, with one person in Washington D.C. and another one in California, and the topic was the L.A. port strike. How did that for right. a member? That's right. That was great. That was great. I had to shoo people away, you know, just talking too loud. (laughs) Anyhow, we got uh, got interesting stuff today. Yes, we're going to be talking with Greg Elfring, who is the president of Ultimaker Americas, and talking about 3D printing and how, you know, we hear a lot about 3D printing, but... uh, we're going to be interested to see what Greg has to say about how much actually coming in mainstream. It's been around for 25 years, and people may not realize that, but really in the R&D world, and now I think it's becoming more in the production world. Greg, welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Tim and, and Lou, thank you very much for having me on. No problem. I hope that uh, we're bright enough to understand how, what you're going to explain to us about 3D printing. <laughs> We had a guest the other day that we didn't know what he was talking about. So you, you have a real challenge here. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're just simple folks uh, that you have to explain high tech to. Yeah. So Greg, give us a feel for Ultimaker and Ultimaker Americas and really what what that company does and what's unique about it? So Ultimaker is a 10-year-old technology company that's based in Utrecht, Netherlands. Uh, We have an operation here in the U.S. that's over five years old. Uh, Our company is predominantly focused on 3D printing technology and the related software. Uh, We have uh, been growing extensively in the United States, um, particularly because Ultimaker is an extremely easy-to-use device. It's engineered to be up and running in less than 20 minutes out of the box. Um, The device is very well-built, and the combination of being easy-to-use and well-built, it has been adopted as a very reliable method of 3D printing. Um, our, Our technology uses fused filament, fabrication, which means we take a plastic 
filament and we extrude it and print three-dimensionally. Are, are okay. all the materials, are all the materials uh, plastic or do you use other uh, materials as well, like the, you know, aluminum and uh, titanium and things of that nature? So, Lou, we, we, can, print, we can print thermoplastic materials. Uh, that's, that's where the technology is most mm-hmm. ideal. Having said that, um, many, many of our uh, listeners may know about uh, metal injection molding technology, and there are materials in that world called ultrafuse. It's a, it's a polymer metal blend. Uh, for a metal injection molder, it would be a powder, but for an Ultimaker machine, it would be that blend in a filament. And uh, wow. so what our, what our customers are able to do is print metal parts that are in a green form, and then through a two-step process, they can go from a green part to a brown part to a fully dense metal part. And that is a technology that's driven through the BASF Ultrafuse product line. Hmm. How, how big what, of the... Uh, no, that's fine. I'll come back around. Uh, uh, yeah, I was going to ask, Greg, your printers, what size parts can they print and what volume can they produce? So a typical build volume for an Ultimaker printer is around 12, uh, 10 inches by 12 inches by around 10 inches in build volume. So it's a relatively cube-like build volume. You can put parts in there. For example, at a, at a diagonal to take maximum advantage of that build volume, uh, and you can also put multiple parts in a build tray. Um, you just have to accommodate the X and Y dimensions on the actual build tray. So, um, what size parts are you able to produce? You know, most of our customers will produce parts that are. Um, you know, four inches by six inches by ten inches. Um, okay. You know, these are these are uh, probably if you if you were to statistically sample injection molding, you know, our product intentionally is geared for about seventy percent of all the molded parts. So if you if you sure. took an inventory of of a large sample of of actual molds and molded parts that customers are doing today with traditional you know, injection molding, the, for example, the Ultimaker S5 build volume would accommodate about 70% of that population of parts. Ah, okay, great. Is this, uh, do you happen to have one of these on the International Space Station, or is that uh, somebody else who's got one up there? You know, I don't think it's Ultimaker's product that's on the International Space Station. I believe what happened was there was a consortium that donated different uh, IP, and um, NASA, through a bid process, um, engaged a company to, to provide a complete package. Um, one thing that's unique about Ultimaker is they very well could be using our software. Um, Ultimaker developed Cura software, which we've given away for, for free for many years, for, for the last 10 years. That's become the de facto standard for customers to set up their parts to be 3D printed. 
And um, you can download that for free on Ultimaker's website. Um, you know, I would encourage all the listeners to, to go ahead and download a copy of it. If you're in the manufacturing business and you're wondering how long would something take to 3D print and how much would it cost, um, this software package could, will, will take your CAD file and it will slice it. And from that slice data, it will tell you how many grams of material will be used and how many hours of extrusion time the machine will take to complete the part. So it's very, very oh, possible cool. that, that that device on the International Space Station is being driven by Cura Software. Cura Software is a G-code generator. All Ultimaker machines run on G-code. So we, we, are, we are operating on a very familiar uh, programming language that, that many traditional manufacturers use. Uh, Greg, I might suggest that you send us a link to uh, that program you just discussed. Uh, I'd like to put it on um, Manufacturing Talk Radio's uh, site where your player for this show will be uh, aired. Um, and uh, we can put the link there, and anyone who goes to listen to it can uh, tap into it and go directly even while they're listening to you. Lou, I will certainly follow up and get you the link. Verbally, it, it is ultimaker.com is the uh, URL that, that uh, listeners can go to. And, again, that software is free. Just go to the software section. You can download it. Uh, if you're an enterprise company and you require very specific security requirements, uh, we do have a pay version that will meet those requirements. It's fully vetted and tested by White Hat developers. So it's, um, you know, an IT secure uh, version. Not that the that the downloadable version isn't. It's just you know some IT folks require maximum certification. Right, right. Well, that's that's good. And uh, uh, you send it on to us, and we'll uh, uh, post it onto the site where the player is. So, Tim, Greg, uh, how long have you been with with the Ultimaker Americas, and you know what's your vision for where three D printing and Ultimaker is going? So I've been with Ultimaker for over a year and a half now. I was with a, a competitor for 15 years um, before that. And, um, you know, the vision of Ultimaker is to be the world's leader in distributing 3D printing. So if you can imagine uh, customers all over the world have, have computer data that's being developed, it could be replacement parts that are used in their production lines, it can be their prototype files, for their next generation product. It can be um, a prototype of a bridge or a skyline that an architect is working on um, or, or a custom medical device, uh, you know, a drill guide or, a, or a, a prosthetic for, you know, a person having a dental procedure. Um, you know, the applications are extremely broad for 3D printing, and our vision is to make that printing available at the point of use. So we call that distributed printing. And Ultimakers are, you know, as I said earlier, they're, they're very easy to use. So, you know, it's, it's possible for someone with very little 3D printing experience to become comfortable making parts. And um, because much of the skill involved in making those parts comes from the computer software that was used to design that part. 
So, um, you know, Ultimaker's vision is to is to put that ability in the hands of a customer right at the point they want to use those parts. So we're we're imagining supply chains getting more consolidated as customers inventory data that will allow them to remake parts of their business. Do you have uh, uh, as well uh, a video uh, demo of how your product works? Absolutely. There are a number of videos uh, both on the ultimaker.com website, but I want to encourage listeners to to take advantage of something that's very available from Ultimaker. Um, Ultimaker is an open system, meaning we put very few restrictions on our customers, both on how they drive the printer and the types of materials they put in the printer. And, and as a result, there is a lot of third-party information on the Internet. So I would challenge listeners to go to YouTube and look up something like loading filament in an Ultimaker S3. And you will see a 30-second snippet of, a, of an engineer loading filament in an Ultimaker printer. And, and that type of content available in large quantities is available on Ultimakers, and that's unique to us. It's, it's unique because we gave away our software early on. It allowed it to get adopted by schools and by hobbyists and by the maker um, movement, and that has created some rich content for manufacturing folks to look at, to watch, to take shortcuts and, and not go through the learning curve that some of these early adopters uh, had to go through. So, you know, the benefit of Ultimaker is there's a really large amount of information available on the Internet that helps people run and use our product well. So, uh, Greg, I would then also suggest to you with the email that you're going to send us to give us the uh, link to one of your uh, demonstrator videos, and uh, we'll be happy to put that on so that when the show is being listened to, people can actually see that in operation. Very good. I will get that to you as well, Lou. Okay, very good. Um, so what uh, – we didn't get an answer, and I, I think it was just uh, we just overlooked it. These these machines are production machines. How many can they produce in a certain period of time? And so, I, we presume no. it has to do with the size, but uh, taking a, a mid-sized part of the mid-sized in terms of your capacity, how many parts do you turn out at not, an hour a day, whatever? So, you know, if you were to look at printers, you will see extrusion rates as a, as a comparison. Um, yes. You know, the, the reality with our business, and most manufacturers can understand this, the, the devil's in the detail. Um, how you set the printer up to actually produce the parts and the type of material you're running will have a large impact on the speed and the throughput of the actual part you're making. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example here that is something we all can relate to. It's a cell phone, you know. Let's, let's think of an iPhone. We all know the size of that. Um, if you were to build that iPhone flat, um, you know, with, with, uh, 
with the phone actually laying flat on the bed, um, it would it would build relatively quick. You could build a single iPhone in as fast as two hours or as long as six hours. Um, two really? hours, it, it would be what's called a draft version. It would have thicker layers. It would have more infill, or I'm sorry, less infill. It would be a less dense part. Um, so there would be more air between the, the actual particles of plastic. Um, it would be less expensive. Um, if you went to the six-hour part, it would be higher quality. It would be smoother surface finish. It would probably be at more accurate, you know, down to a few thousandths of an inch uh, versus six to eight thousandths of an inch for the, for the draft version. Um, so there's a lot of variables that customers uh, can play with. And, and I'll give you, you know, the, if you were to turn that cell phone vertically on its edge and print it, all of that goes out the window and the times become much different. Now, the material usage should be relatively consistent, but you have something in 3D printing called support material. So if you start setting the part at different build angles, you will consume more support material. All these are tips and tricks we teach customers to really take advantage and maximize a printer. Um, if you go back to the example of the cell phone, it's realistic for a customer to produce one or two prototypes in a matter of hours. If you were to go into production, you would produce, let's say, quantities of four to six of them, and your build times would go up, um, respective that each part has to be extruded, um, and that takes more time. So you're, if you have you know, a part that takes uh, two hours for a single part and you want three of them, it may take 7.25 hours. So um, that, that type of scalability. Now, one interesting thing about Ultimaker, these are less expensive devices. These are $6,000, $10,000 devices. We have customers who, who run multiple devices, and when they get an order for 10 parts, they go ahead and delegate the order to three machines, start them all at the same time, and end up getting 10 parts within 24 hours. So that type of utilization is very common. We call that a parts farm. It's, it's Think of it as multiple printers just printing away, producing parts, almost like a farm-like setting. That's quite amazing. So I feel like I want one of these in my office to print something, uh, but obviously it's a little more expensive than my uh, inkjet printer. Are there places I can get a prototype printed, Greg, with an Ultramaker printer? Absolutely, yeah. There are uh, service providers. Um, you know, I'll give you some examples. Uh, we have an office at Navy Lab. Um, or what's called New Lab at the Navy Yards in Brooklyn. And this is an incubator-type facility, um, you know, like a WeWork facility. So there's about 30 companies or 40 companies located in that incubator building. Um, one of the companies is a service provider that will take engineering files, CAD files, STL files from different customers all over the New York area, and they will produce prototypes on Ultimakers and they will uh, ship them out or courier them out to different engineering customers in the New York area. So that, that's a very common 
um, type of growing service in our industry. We call them service providers. Um, they're very similar to, to tr traditional machine shops. And in fact, I would expect more traditional machining companies, CNC machining companies, to look at Ultimaker products as another tool in their shop that can make plastic and metal parts fast, quickly, on a prototype and short-run basis. So, Greg, uh, out of curiosity, there's always great stories behind a product like this, and you must have a couple of unique stories of a customer who printed something that you didn't expect would or could be printed using an Ultimaker. Are there any unique print stories you'd like to share? Yeah, the um, one that's most familiar right now is with Heineken um, Beverage. So, you know, I mentioned YouTube. You can uh, can search on there, Heineken Ultimaker, and you'll, you'll find some videos um, that talk about how Heineken has, at a corporate level, they have identified parts that are used as common in the brewery process. They've identified them as wear parts. And they've also identified them as problematic with getting local manufacturers or carrying large amounts of inventory um, or just getting things in a timely basis. You know, getting spare parts down to South Africa can take three months versus shipping parts to somewhere in the Netherlands. So um, Heineken is a really good example of a company that has um, made those engineering files available to all of their local breweries. So, so near, upwards of 100 local breweries have access to this library that's proprietary to Heineken that is the spare parts they need to keep their breweries up and running. And these are everything from um, quality control gauges used to make sure that the labels are in the correct position, um, different fixtures for setting up the packaging machine so an operator can set up a machine in one minute versus 10 or 15 minutes. Um, they, are, they are proprietary tools that are used to change filler nozzles that used to require a person to walk to the tool room, sign out a stainless steel tool, you know, take it to the production line. Someone else didn't have access to it then or was waiting for it. Um, whereas Heineken was able to print each line a, a nylon version that they could keep right there at the line, eliminating all that back and forth with uh, the plant maintenance and engineering. So that's a very good example of a, of a you know, a, a consumer product, you know, beverage in this case, that uh, is heavily depending on 3D printing, not for prototyping, but rather for end-use parts they're using in the brewery. So spare parts is a you know a niche business for a lot of companies who provide plastic replacement parts for everything assembled out of plastic in in the uh, home and business world, whether it's a handle for a vacuum cleaner or a clip or a wing nut or something. Is that uh, something that we're eventually going to see? replaced by on-demand printing with these 3D printers and, the, you know, the manufacturer of that wing nut simply makes the CAD drawing available rather than 
a warehouse filled with a box of 100 wing nuts and they're waiting to sell them? So there are companies whose whole business depends on answering that question. And, you know, let's be specific. There are, there are companies like Amazon and Federal Express and UPS that see 3D printing as both a threat and an opportunity. And if you went into those companies and peeked behind closed doors, you would see armies of 3D printers making the spare parts that are keeping those fleets and those processing centers running. Um, but make no mistake about it, some of those same companies have the ability to measure and look at what's being consumed, and they have the ability to put two and two together and make decisions on whether or not that part could be produced using 3D printing, and the whole supply chain can be shortened, uh, reduced, cost minimized, etc. So there, there's a lot going on right now with supply chain and with, um, you know, with what I would call um, web-based uh, consumer activity that, that has an ability to really impact 3D printing. Or I should say 3D printing really has a, a, an ability to impact that type of supply chain. I know that Lou has followed this, and he and I have chatted about it for a while, for instance, on aircraft carriers and destroyers and you know, other ships at sea were getting a part, a replacement part to a ship uh, is a kind of a logistics issue. Uh, so I know that Lewis has said, you know, now they're putting these 3D printers on uh, ships. I think it's a smart move. Yeah, we're, we're um, you know, I'll be honest, the United States is a little behind in this area. Um, you know, that we have a customer in the Netherlands, the Dutch Navy, um, every one of their ships at sea has an Ultimaker 3D printer on board. They have engineers at bases in the Netherlands who know the CAD files, the CAD designs of that actual ship, and are able to email replacement parts, the files, to produce them so that a Navy sailor on that ship takes that file, puts it into the Ultimaker printer, presses go. He does not know how to make parts. He just knows how to take that file, load it into the machine, press go, <laughs> and pre set up the build plate correctly. So he's got to follow instructions, but he does not need to be a skilled manufacturing technician. He needs to be trainable and have a level of discipline that they follow a recipe. But the technology does a lot of the heavy lifting. Well, that's, that's, uh, Kind of fascinating, uh, uh, Lou. I know that you you find that interesting as well. Yeah, this is uh, this is like a photocopy machine from 50 years ago, modernized. <laughs> yeah, right. Soon you'll be that's able to go get your materials from Staples to make 3D. Actually, that sounds like a pretty good business. Have yeah, Staples. For a while. Yes. Yeah, for a while, um, you know, there was, at the retail level, there was quite a bit of, um, you know, some you know, 3D printers being sold. Um, but really, um, a lot of 3D printers today have, have migrated to um, what I will call commercially capable companies that can um, professionally distribute a product, support a product, 
be there for after-sales support, answer questions on how to use it or how to take more advantage of it. Um, you know, and that's we, – we look at those types of companies as more of a value-added reseller. Um, you know, we're investing in them. We're training them. We're teaching them how to teach customers. Uh, you know, we're, we're introducing new materials that, of course, broaden the range of applications. So, so we're – we're taking advantage of a little more of a professional network that is already working with these engineers and manufacturing companies. Um, but you're right. At the retail level, um, certainly you can go on Amazon and, and purchase 3D printers and supplies. Um, and so storefronts, you know, there, there have been many examples of storefronts selling 3D printers as well. I, I have a big uh, recollection, Greg, when you and I spoke several weeks ago. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, aside from the plastics, we didn't get into any uh, specific other material. But I, I vaguely recall that you were talking about 316 stainless, 17.4pH, uh, A6 tool seal. Is that, uh, is that correct? Yeah, so, you know, I said earlier that there are materials um, there are, for example, there's a BASF Ultrafuse, which is a 316 stainless steel, um, and there's a number of other materials that are a blend of plastic and metal that enables a customer to print a metal part. Now, it is not a fully dense metal part when it comes off our printer. It can go through a debinding process and then a final sintering process to turn it into a fully dense metal part and we see companies right now that are um, more maybe machine shop focused taking this technology they have the equipment to do the secondary post-processing they're today becoming the the faster adopters of this technology um, use you know where you're actually printing metal Um, the other type of customer that's adopting it are metal injection molders because it's, it's an alternative to their existing process. Today, a metal injection molder molds a green part. Well, we're printing a green part. They'll then take that printed green part and run it through their traditional process to end up with a fully dense metal part. So there's a couple of different avenues where this technology is finding you know, um, ways to produce metal parts um, through a multi-step process. And, and that is with 17.4 stainless steel. Uh, there are some grades of like an A6 tool steel and then, of course, a 316 uh, steel. I, I don't think we'll get to an aluminum through that process just because an aluminum is a more reactive metal. Um, I think there's going to have to be some improvements to the technology before that's um, achievable. You can get a hybrid aluminum plastic uh, material, so if you want it to look aluminum, um, that's, you know, a very common trick that customers use. They'll use a, a polymer blend or an alloy blend filament um, to get parts that look like metal. Um, but to get true metal parts, you have to do a multi-step process. Got it. Got it. Well, the day will come. It will. We're yeah. working on it. You know, and, you know, one thing I've learned in this business, um, someone early on told me uh, that, uh, you know, our kids today, the generations that they will get jobs or the industries that they'll get jobs in um, do not exist. You know, so we really need to teach kids how to just be good learners. 
Um, you know, and I thought about that. You know, I graduated in college and uh, or in high school in 1988, and um, 3D printing was being launched in 1988. The the first 3D printers were were being um, introduced. So this this industry didn't even exist when I started college. Um, it was just beginning. And uh, it just shows you how fast this technology has evolved. How, you know, what five more years or what ten more years will do, it's amazing. There's tremendous amount of activity going on at the research level, you know, the university level, the, um, the corporate research level. And, again, Ultimakers are open systems. So, so we're right in the middle of that experimentation. People like our device because it gives them that ability to try something that um, – that they're wondering whether or not it will work. Very cool stuff, Greg. Very cool stuff. Well, we certainly appreciate you joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio and sharing with our listeners what Ultimaker can do. And for our listeners, it's U-L-T-I-M-A-K-E-R, Ultimaker.com, where you can download the free software and play with that and see what you might like to print, either in prototype or short-run production. Greg, again, thank you for being with us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Tim and Lou, thank you very much for the the chance to talk today. I really appreciated it. Great conversation, and uh, don't forget, send us those couple of links, and we'll be happy to spread the word. Very good. It'll come over right away, Tim. Thank you much. Okay, thanks, Tim. Great. Bye-bye. 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 And we've been uh, speaking with Greg Elfering, who is president of Ultimaker Americas. Again, their website is ultimaker.com. Be sure and check it out if you've got some interesting prototypes you want to make out of presently plastic. But as he, Greg was saying, they'll get to metal. And while you're surfing the web, please visit us at jacketmediaco.com, where you can find Manufacturing Talk Radio, which is also at mfgtalkradio.com for all of our episodes. The Wham Podcast, which is about women in manufacturing. The Hazard Girls Podcast, which is about women in unusual roles in the industry. Full Time with Amy Nicholas, which is a discussion about the work-life balance that women face in business. Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Walden. It talks about the economy and manufacturing. And where's Willie with William Miller traveling the country, talking from factory floors about what's really happening. And as always, we appreciate all of you listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.